you know, where is the ethics in this? Like, is it ethical for somebody who's in a married relationship to say it's okay for you to be with another man, even though she's not necessarily with him sexually, but but is is present and caring for him and loving him in a way that 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 he would obviously want. Welcome to the Movie Revs, the show that explores movies through the lens of our faith. I'm your host, Erica Bear Daly. And today we'll be looking at the film Away From Her, a thoroughly Canadian film that was uh, directed by Sarah Pauly and released in 2003, just a few short years ago. We'll be looking at this film uh, accompanied by two of my excellent ministry colleagues, Janet Neild and Dan Hayward. Janet is a diaconal minister who retired in 2019 after serving congregations in Eastern Ontario, Oakville, and Toronto, and she is currently working uh, as a volunteer for the Interchurch Refugee Committee on settlement, on fundraising, and advocacy. Dan Hayward is a minister who's been serving the South Stormont uh, pastoral charge over the last number of years. He's currently on secondment to the Naganaga Regional Council as the pastoral relations minister. We welcome both of these excellent ministers to our midst. I know Janet because she was the supervisor of my internship when I was leading up to being ordained. And I know Dan from the lay worship leader program we took in 2002, many years before we actually uh, became ordained. But what we all have in common is, of course, a love for the movies, the stories that they tell, the empathy that they evoke in us. And so let's get started. So welcome to the Movie Revs. This is a very exciting premiere for us. Uh, we get an opportunity to explore the movie Away From Her, a story that is inspired by Alice Munro's short story, The Bear Who Came Over the Mountain, a story of the love between Grant and Fiona, faced with the crisis that they face as a couple as Fiona uh, suffers from this, the, the onslaught of Alzheimer's and as her husband tries to figure out how to move her into a care facility and particularly facing 30 days without being able to see her and discovering that when he returns, she is uh, no longer recognizing him. So, an interesting story and uh, Dan and, uh, and, uh, and Janet, you've had a chance to sort of spend a little bit of time with this story over the last little while. Um, how has it felt to, to sort of be in the shoes of, of this particular family in this particular circumstance? Okay, uh, to be in the shoes? Well, I don't want to be in those shoes. No. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be in those shoes. So there are lots of decisions to make. Yeah, yeah. What was it like for you, Dan? I have been in those shoes as a uh, son. Mm. Had Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and the first thing in the movie that hit me is the scene where um, Fiona goes skiing and wanders off and is found at the side of a busy road. Mm. My mother was found by the police wandering along a major highway. Mm. As one of the first times we knew that this was really getting serious. Right. And, but I could relate to so much in the movie, both as the son of someone with Alzheimer's, as a minister, because I think ministers know well the setting of the movie in this um, uh, care home, 
with the officious administrator and the hardworking nurses and the uh, uh, all the residents of various stages of uh, dementia. Yeah. All of us know those scenes. Um, and my mother-in-law, who also had dementia, was Icelandic Canadian, as Fiona oh. is in the movie, and had the book Letters from Iceland that Grant mm -hmm. Fiona wow. in one of the scenes. So it's a box uh, in our basement. Mm. That's uh, that's really that's quite a lot of parallels. That mm. is uh, that's quite incredible. I, I mentioned that this is a very Canadian film because there are so many very clearly articulated Canadian moments, right? Everything from, you know, the the talk of the Canadian Tire and Kamloops to, you know, the very the the, the Brant County sign. You know, you can almost like pinpoint the the very location of this film, uh, including a, one of the rare references to a United Church, um, which made reference to the Brantford United Church out loud about their sign out front, um, which I thought was quite an interesting way of kind of connecting the Canadiana to this film, for sure. I liked how, because um, dementia is not much depicted in film, right. caregiving is a rare subject in film, mm -hmm. although affects so many families it should be the source of more drama than it is in uh, mm. film and tv uh, but the movie is general enough in its depiction that if people in denmark and chile and new zealand can watch it and identify with it but it is also very local in being canadian and specifically um, southern ontario yeah it's a bit disconcerting that the cottage scenes have way more snow than the uh scenes in the uh, city because they filmed in Huntsville for the cottage scenes at Lake of Bays. Right. Presumably earlier than they filmed the scenes where mm. there's that much snow in the wintertime. Uh, Harrison Kitchener. Right, right. Hmm. So I just have to say I loved, uh, I love Julie Christie. She's uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, actresses from way back from when I was uh, in grade 13 and went to see uh, Far From the Matting Crowd at the main theater in Ottawa and just fell in love with her vulnerability and her beauty. So to see her uh, in such a brilliant way, I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Well, Janet, why don't we turn to you for your two minute take? Um, okay. Tell us about the story in your own words. <laughs> well, I loved this movie the second time that I saw it. The uh, the food climate, um, I had a bit of trouble. I couldn't quite understand why she was uh, leaving. But the second time, I had a little bit more comfort with it. I find the movie is an enigmatic study of a marriage dissolving, and it reforms, it dissolves again, and it reforms. And it's a beautiful interweaving of time and memory. And uh, Dan mentioned the cross-country skiing. I think it's probably the only movie I've ever seen that uses cross-country skiing as a metaphor for marriage. Mm. They go out across the lake, uh, cross-country skiing uh, in a double track. She's in one track, he's in another. Uh, they're together, they're side by side, they're following the same course. And then we, and then the camera draws away, and there's a long shot of uh, her continuing on the course and him veering off in one another direction. Um, that seemed to say something to me about um, about part of what happened to them uh, earlier in their marriage. And then that time that she does go skiing by herself, 
she ends up completely lost and confused. And as Dan described, uh, ends up on the side of a road uh, looking over a bridge. And Grant comes up and, and discovers her and brings her home. So he rescues her from whatever it is that uh, has uh, taken her away, this uh, feeling of lost and confused. I thought the brilliant part of the movie was how much I cared about all of the characters. I didn't want anyone to suffer. And I also really appreciated that the loose ends just did not get tied up. And I appreciated that. So that's, that's my initial take on the movie. That's great. Dan, give us your two minute take on Away From Her. Well, uh, as uh, Janet said, the loose ends are not all tied up in a neat bow at the end or at any point during the movie for that matter, which uh, I appreciated it was, there's messiness as there is in real life. Um, mm -hmm dealing with issues of uh, caregiving and aging and dementia in particular. Um, I was amazed that Sarah Pauly, who most Canadians knew from the Avonlea TV series and thought of as a, uh, a child actor, uh, wrote this movie when she was, what, 25 years old. I know she's working from a short story by Alice Munro, who won a Nobel Prize for literature, but still uh, she's inserted herself into the minds of people who are four decades or more her senior. And Julie Christie plays a character her age. She's what, she's born in 1940. So she's uh, 63 when she filmed, made this film. Uh, and is, uh, just brings uh, such uh, a, um, a depth of, um, acting to this, uh, the role is of Fiona, well, the entire cast is actually stellar with Gordon Pinsent, who himself won a, um, a Genie Award, which is now the Canadian Screen Award for this, as to Julie Christie, and the uh, Oscars are in there too. Um, uh, Olympia Dukakis as uh, Marion. Uh, Michael Murphy, who plays Aubrey and never says a word for the whole movie, but brings to that role, uh, you feel that he is this character uh, Aubrey and is thoroughly identified with it. Uh, so I thought that the acting, cinematography, the were all uh, put the movie in, I would think, the top of English Canadian uh, film that I can think of. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Thank you. And in terms of my take, you know, I, I find this. I find this story to be the perfect sum up of what it means to to be uh, emotionally in someone else's shoes, right? It, it is beautiful to me that we have this um, experience of going into a movie theater, although we're not doing that these days. But 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 to 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 be able to sit there in the dark, even in a dark room, and to be absorbed by the story of somebody else that is a story we have either not felt or that we can sympathize in certain respects, but that allows us to be immersed. And this is the perfect story for the emotions of what's fair about what love is and where that love is found. I mean, this story really does express this sense of this delicate love that, that that as deep as it can be, it allows us to also be giving and offering, which is, I, I think, such a, 
such a beautiful place where this film really shines. And I think that part of this, um, part of the story that I think is undertold is, is this whole perspective that Fiona actually cares for this other person that she has never met before. And, and to me, this, the fact that she is able to do so with such love and such grace, even though she doesn't remember her husband who is sitting watching, that she can love Aubrey and care for him in the way that she does is such a powerful message to us all about, about what it means to be human. So I, I love that part of that film. So anyhow, I, 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 I certainly agree with most of your takes. I would have one small argument to make with Dan. I didn't think that, that Aubrey's character was as, as crisp as I would have liked it to be in a performance. It, it was the only performance that was just missing a little sheen. Otherwise, I would say that you're right. The performances were all fantastic um, in, terms of their, in terms of their play. So why don't we go to our first clip? Um, this is a clip that Janet has suggested to us. So why don't we hear this clip and, uh, and let Janet explain a little bit why she was inspired by it. Uh, smells good. I was gonna go for a ski, but I thought I shouldn't chance it. What with the Alzheimer's and all? Why didn't you wake me? What are these, Grant? Those are the documents you're supposed to sign if you decide to go to Meadow Lake. That is exactly what I have decided. You were to go and sign these and leave them there. I wouldn't be allowed to visit you for 30 days. setup so and and all of us I feel like our hearts are in our throat yeah. so tell us why you why this scene particularly helps illustrate your your sense of the film well I think I said earlier that the thing that I couldn't quite understand is I mean the first time that I watched it I got really caught up by that was why Fiona would choose to leave Grant hmm why she would think that it would be a better thing for her to go into long-term care. And what was it, what was it worth for her? Why would she want to move out of the family home? And then I, I wondered if it was something about uh, wanting to be born again into the person she was longing for or longing to be that she was wanted to have a little agency over her own life. Mm. And um, 
I mean, isn't that also kind of the whole point, right? That we want agency over our lives and and we feel that Alzheimer's robs us of that. Mm-hmm. And and so to me, yeah, there's a there's a question of agency and whether she's had agency in the past, but it's mm-hmm. also like at what point is it a question also of saying, while I still can, I want to make this decision clearly mm-hmm. and effectively. And and then that makes you wonder, well, why? And who is she protecting? And who is mm-hmm. she? And is she doing this for herself or is she doing it for him mm-hmm. as, a, as a sign of love, right? It's it, There's so much in that. Well, and the other thing that I really appreciated about it was uh, was that whole... Uh, way of thinking about love and uh and uh i you know i think in our in our theology we like to talk about love as being an action a, a verb and um and to love somebody isn't just to have a feeling about them but it's to want to do things to look after them and uh and um so this that whole scene kind of calls for me into question what looking after might actually mean who needs to be looked after and how do they need to be looked after Hmm. the other thing is that is that it seems that love is about turning towards somebody with compassion and to turn towards somebody even when it's painful and that's the other part of it i i loved about grant is that he wasn't afraid of pain he visited her every single day, even when it was painful. He just list, lit, leaned in and witnessed and loved her through it. I felt a deep sense of compassion there. Mm. Yeah, that that imagine being in a situation where you you subject yourself to being rejected every single day, mm. um, and and at one point it does break out, right? Like he does, he does sort of finally just he can't take it anymore and he has to you know hold on to her and go i'm your husband <laughs> right mm-hmm. like he 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 just can't but but that's this one brief moment of his mm-hmm. constant journey of just of just being in that uncomfortable space mm-hmm. i still don't think that i would ever make the same decision that she made no no i i have a feeling if i if i if i felt secure well, I mean, maybe that's the whole story. I wondered if if Alice Monroe, when she was writing the story, was in some remarkable way taking a risk about uh, about what it means to have agency over your own life and the dignity of making your own decisions, hmm. and, uh, and that even even with something like Alzheimer's, the person has a right to make their own decisions. But I would still want to be at home being looked after. Hmm. And there's a question. I mean, if they were together for 44 years, they would have been married in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, right? Mm -hmm. At a time when women's uh, ability to be able to have a lot of control over their own destiny was not quite yet at the place where it would be today. So so this question of agency does play itself out, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the throughout Mm -hmm. this too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so do you want us to uh, to share uh, the the psalm that this made you think of? Sure. Sure. Do you want me to say something about it to start? No. Why don't you just Why don't you just read it for us, and we can we can explore it together. All right. Okay. Well, one thing I did want to say is that uh, is that uh, Grant reads poetry to Fiona, so I'm going to read you a poem. 
So this is Psalm 41. Happy are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them in the day of trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. They are called happy in the land. You do not give them up to the will of their enemies. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed. In their illness, you heal all their infirmities. As for me, I said, O oh Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies wonder in malice when I will die and my name perish. And when they come to see me, they utter empty words while their hearts gather mischief. When they go out, they tell it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They think that a deadly thing has fastened on me, that I will not rise again from where I lie. Even my bosom friend in whom I trusted, who ate of my bread, has lifted the heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me, because my enemy has not triumphed over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Hmm. A very comforting psalm. Hmm. Hmm. And it speaks to you in part because it, it it because it provides that level of comfort. What are the aspects that kind of connect you and make you think of this film? Well, I think that psalms have a wonderful way of voicing the human condition. That uh, uh, the psalms all come with a superscri superscription and one says it's thanksgiving thanksgiving for healing hmm. and uh and so we wonder you know what is healing and uh and so the psalm also allows us to be present to anger and confusion and questions about identity and who i am it this this psalm makes me wonder you know am i different because i'm ill Will people think that I'm different? Will they behave differently toward me? Mm. And, and uh, yeah. of course, it also makes us wonder about uh, the the whole concept of what we used to call blessing and cursing. Uh, and and that speaks to things that we've already been talking about, about agency and direction and dignity. Uh, uh, if you think of illness as being a curse, of being a burden, and that you want to warehouse the elderly so they'll be out of the way and not be a burden, then that 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 tells a certain story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go to our second clip. Um, this clip uh, comes from uh, a point in the movie that's kind of in the middle part. Um, so let's uh, let's play this clip for for our audience. She was eighteen. Holy, that's pretty young to get married, eh? <laughs> wasn't my idea. You mean she proposed to you? Well, that's lovely. That's what I think. How'd she do it? She hadn't planned it. 
necessarily. We were in Tobermory waiting for the ferry to Manitoulin, and it was miserable and rainy, and she was in a good mood. And she didn't want any part of my sour mood. And what'd she do? What'd she say? Well, she said, do you think it'd be fun? Do you think it'd be fun if we got married? And what did you say? I took her up on it. I shouted yes. I never wanted to be away from her. She had the spark of life. Hmm. The clip that actually sets up the title of the film, really, um, and uh, so, Dan, this uh, this clip really spoke to you in particular. Tell me a little bit why. Well, it's followed by when we just cut away before we saw that um, footage of an actor who's playing the young Julie Christie. Presumably the filmmaker wasn't able to access Julie Christie herself at the mm -hmm. young age, although there's lots of film, Dr. Zhivago. And uh, so <laughs> it's, it's like Doc, Lara from Dr. Zhivago in like the late 1950s uh, uh, by this point. But I just thought it was um, such a uh, expression of uh, love and desire and uh, what leads people to uh, uh, propose and uh, to get married that um, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of couples can identify with, uh, mm -hmm. uh, with that part of the movie. It's the one of two smoke break scenes in the uh, movie the other one is considerably less uh, or considerably more awkward than uh, yes one, a less comfortable setting right and so the the idea of being away from her as the thing that is the is the impetus to being in a lifelong commitment with her is an interesting is an interesting statement of 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 that feeling of proposal at that moment of marriage proposal too, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. cool that way, yeah. And so they have 44 years where they're presumably not apart much. Asha did a funeral for a uh, a man where the his son gave the uh, eulogy at the funeral. And apparently his parents had spent a total of one night apart between the ages of about 20 and 90. Wow. And had been together every day for the rest of their lives. Mm. I'm sure a lot of couple people would like to emulate that. There's other couples with completely different relationships, but uh, it's a, a goal that uh, people like to hold up as an example of uh, commitment. Right, mm. right. And one of the things that you noted in this film is this is this question of how people, and we've been talking about agency and about how people connect to, um, to their, to their agency as, as human beings and how the staff, at, at various times I kind of find the staff can be a bit cold, um, you know, in, in respect to the, to, the, to the people there. There are a lot of people that don't get visitors. There are, you know, like you, you see all of these layers of things going on about the dehumanizing a little bit of, of people with, you know, with, with, this, with these particular disabilities. In terms of the theology of disabilities, what, what kind of jumps out at you in terms of, of, of the lessons learned from this film? Well, the, the, those scenes in the film probably particularly hit home now because of the uh, what we know about the COVID-19 mm. pandemic and the situation in uh, long-term care. 
uh, particularly in right where the movie is filmed in Ontario. Right. The movie is set. But uh, theologians of disabilities have had a lot to say as they explore questions of agency, questions of um, uh, stereotypes of the, of the elderly and disabled people, where we as disabled people are seen as a, uh, alternatively as a curse. Um, Jesus actually speaks against this in John's gospel, but people don't seem to have absorbed that part for uh, 20 centuries. Uh, disabled people are seen as an inspiration. We only have value if we are inspiring able people. Uh, this is the stereotype of the, uh, look, she's 105 years old and look how good she looks and she's able to uh, uh, walk only using a cane, that kind of um, stereotype. Which is exactly, uh, which is in reverse, exactly an insult, right? To everybody else who isn't in those, in those shoes, right? Yeah, so people who don't fit into this, um, um, disabled people actually uh, refer to it in terms of um, uh, inspiration porn. Mm. It's how people with disabilities and older people are frequently framed in uh, media and memes and social media. Right. Mm. Or we are a, uh, a warning. Um, this question of agency has been brought up a lot uh, in the context of uh, dementia, um, care for uh, the aged, and also in the uh, work that the United Church has just been doing on medical assistance in dying. Right. Mm -hmm where the, the federal government has introduced new legislation, which has since passed. Uh, and there's a powerful constituency, constituency in Canada, including among many United Church people, uh, favoring advanced directives where you will be able to say, although this is not actually in the legislation, but many people thought that it was, uh, you will be able to say, should I be, get Alzheimer's? This is what I want to happen. I will choose medical assistance at that time, medical assistance in dying. Right. Even though I don't meet the requirements elsewhere for consent, I want to specify now that this is what will happen. And other people within the church have pushed back against that. Mm. And that's been an interesting debate that I've been involved in. And there are uh, people with uh, very um, um, entrenched opinions on uh, both sides and people uh, who've arrived at their opinions through a lot of prayer and discernment and uh, thinking through uh, uh, scenarios and ethics and situations and their own experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Dan, uh, just so folks know, you were actually the chair of the, of the National United Churches uh, Theology Committee that, that looks at these kinds of issues in depth, right? Um, yeah. I know that you're currently on a, on a break because you're being, because of your secondment to a paid position, but, but that this has been something that these are one of the issues that you've been struggling with uh, as, part of a, as part of the national dialogue on this stuff. Yeah, so I, I testified to a Senate committee on medical assistance in dying. Mm -hmm. I shared our work on theologies of disabilities. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This whole question of agency and institutions reverberates through other areas. Uh, we are apologizing for forced and coerced adoptions from United Church run maternity homes, uh, where again, the agency of, in that case, young mothers was uh, impinged upon. Hmm. I was once, um, and I think all of us uh, in ministry have had stories like this, where we sit with somebody who is in advanced state of Alzheimer's or dementia, and 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 
where 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 verbal communication becomes challenging, um, and and it is shocking to me just how much you actually understand from a person who is still unable to communicate structuring the words the way one normally would, that there is still so much that you can see alive and present in a person who hasn't necessarily, um, uh, has, has lost the ability to remember everything, uh, or at least a good chunk of things, or is still not able to communicate. And, and it's those moments where we realize the agency is so present, is so real in that context. Um, but it is true even when we don't hear it, right? And, and at what point can we, as a society, start to recognize that? Like that to me is a real, is a real critique that is that is one that is missing in society about the value of human beings um, who have agency um, and who we've decided somehow from uh, from a part that they don't right yeah. we have certainly seen that during the pandemic where opinions on social media have been widely disseminated about um, uh, what the these people perceive as the lack of agency or even deserving the virus by uh, people who are older, who have pre-existing conditions, who are disabled. Mm -hmm. uh, because after all, it's a virus with a 99% survival rate, according to these uh, uh, social media pundits. Right. Although a 99% survival rate means, or is that 1% in your family or, uh, right. yeah. or elsewhere? Right. Mm. Well, let's watch our, our third clip. Um, it's, uh, it's a clip from later on in the film um, that, uh, that deals with one of the themes that certainly I think this film really speaks to. I'm happy to see you. Could have just driven away. Just driven away without a care in the world. And forsook me. Forsaken me. Forsaken. Hmm. So it won't surprise you at all that this particular sentence <laughs> speaks to Jesus on the cross, right? Like, like it is so. To me, it was just flagrant in terms of its uh, in terms of its experience, and and at various times throughout the movie, there are references to anger with God or frustration with God, right? There are a number of moments where where people speak that. In fact, Fiona before she's before she's admitted specifically says you know like it's okay for me to be angry with god isn't it and and it comes to this whole question to me about how can we how can we understand the sacrifice uh sorry not the sacrifice how can we understand the relationship that we have with god in moments of crisis right 
And and mm -hmm. can we be angry with God? Do we think that God is actually the puppet master that is that is managing all of these crises that 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 somehow they're presented to us so that somehow we can get stronger from it or that like the number of of flippant statements that get said theologically about you know how how we feel feel forsaken or that we feel that that somehow this is deserved upon us is so incredibly powerful and that anger with god um comes up a, a few times and it, it it was really quite shocking to me and so that takes me to the scripture passage that uh that that obviously immediately comes to my mind um which comes from uh, the gospel of matthew from noon on darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. This sense that Christ experienced the, the, this sense of being forsaken, at the last moments of, of, of his life. And despite Christ's obvious connection and, and unity with God is such a powerful part of the incarnation, is such an important part of our memory as Christians, I think, that, that there is somehow a, a, a brotherhood we can have with Christ in this moment. And, and the fact that Grant has never forsaken her the fact that Grant is there constantly for Fiona is such a powerful part of the story. But to me, there's this other piece. And it actually comes from this sense of, I am leaving you with the Holy Spirit. Um, even though I will be gone, I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says um, at, at the moment of ascension, which is so interesting in, in parallel to what Grant is doing with Aubrey in the story. To me, there's this really interesting parallel about how Grant is, loves Fiona so much that at some point, despite his jealousy, despite his frustration, that he is entirely accepting of allowing Aubrey to be what she needs at that moment despite the commitments to marriage, despite the commitments to, you know, to everything, that love trumped all of that. And that he, he saw that what was necessary was for Aubrey to be there and present and for her to have someone to care for. I actually thought that that sacrifice, that sacrifice part of the story is so interesting to me. And, and then it brings up all the questions of, you know, where is the ethics in this? Like, is it ethical for somebody who's in a married relationship to say it's okay for you to be with another man, even though she's not necessarily with him sexually, but but is is present and caring for him and loving him in a way that 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 he would obviously want? Anyway, it raises so many interesting um, theological um, issues, and I know Dan, you, you know this whole question of 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 the marital fidelity question is also kind of present and one that you raised in our conversations earlier. Um, do you, how do you see that playing itself out in a healthy way in this film? 
Well, I serve on the um, hospital ethics committee uh, in one of our local hospitals, and uh, the great majority of ethics questions that come up in cases that are brought to the committee for discussion involve dementia and uh, questions of family relationships and marital relationships mm-hmm. and how people with dementia relate to their spouse um, and how do they relate to a spouse in a relationship where they've been married more than once. Right. Long-term memory is better than their short-term and they forget the current spouse and believe they are married to the, the ex-spouse. Right. And children from that relationship were involved, then become involved in conflicts with, the, with members of the current family. Um, and it, I was working in a church where we had a uh, older couple who attended church faithfully. Uh, they were obviously uh, deeply committed to each other, um, living in the same home. So I just and being, being me being brand new, I assumed they were. Uh, in a long-term marriage. Uh, And then it came out that the man was actually married to a woman who was in long-term care with dementia and living with him was his girlfriend. And and the uh, other minister in that charge said to me, well, we talked about it and I gave them the the go-ahead. This seemed to be the best solution to me. So United Church clergy and others who are watching, would that be the... uh, what would mm. your response to that uh, if, if, if two people came to you and said that, uh, yes, he is married and his wife is, does not live with him, is it okay for her to live there? Uh, and uh, what are the implications, the ethical implications of that? Yeah. The movie spins off lots of scenarios that we can think of that are actually real things that people in church congregations and elsewhere are going through. Right. Well, and Marion says at one point, it's all life or it's just life. And, uh, and I think that that, that to me is that the fundamental brilliance of this film is that it's, it's just life. It's the way life works with where everything is kind of gray and, Nothing is nothing is clear. And oftentimes it's a balance between the lesser of two evils or what we might consider to be the lesser of two evils. I do have a problem though with, with our assumption that a person with dementia is actually somehow lessened by the loss of their memory. And, um, and so... I, I don't know. I I find that difficult. I, I find it difficult when I when I think that that um, that somebody might think that I'm not me anymore, and that if I'm not me anymore, does it mean that it's okay for my husband to take up with somebody else? Hmm. And that you're not. But that you're not you anymore is quite a common thing that we hear. Mm, exactly. Families will say to me, oh, that's not mom anymore. We would rather remember remember mom the way she was instead of the way she is now. And that that doesn't seem to me to be a loving response if we talk about loving as facing the pain that is real. 
and walking with the pain and assuming that assuming that God is, uh, I also kind of take issue with the idea that, that Jesus ever thought that God had forsaken him on the cross. I, I, I truly believe that it, uh, that it was an acknowledgement of, of a human relationship that was about to be lost, but that God was, uh, was there and present and weeping through the whole experience. And uh, and that if if we if we imagine that it's possible to continue in relationship with 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 uh, with God after that moment when the human life leaves us, then then um, yeah, I I I I want to think I want to think that. Uh, you know, as 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 uh, my marital relationship enters its uh, last well, where we're all, we'll, we are well into our last quarter, that um, that we will both have grace to recognize that it's life. Sorrow is life. Happiness is life. It's all life, and that we promise to live that life together. Grace is an important concept in all of this too. And I just want to touch on that quickly before we before we close up, because um, at some level, I have seen people deal with people with dementia and, and Alzheimer's with grace, where they meet them where they're at, regardless of, you know, and I've seen other people do it with very little grace, where it's like, no, that's not where you are. And, you know, and, and trying to correct them to whatever is supposed to be real. Mm -hmm. And and to me, the the clip that you chose, Janet, at the very beginning, where where she says, "What we really need is a little grace," is is about how is is it is is so central to this whole idea of mm -hmm. how we deal with people is is that we find grace to be meeting them where they are rather than trying to somehow drag them to either mm -hmm. some image of what we thought they used to be, um, or or to our own reality today why not meet somebody with grace and and where they are like mm -hmm. to me that was a you know that that's another poignant thread that comes out of the film um that is mm -hmm. really interesting mm -hmm. yeah well I think that's been a, a very interesting and 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 fruitful dialogue. Thank you so much um, for for participating in that. Um, shall we close with a little prayer? Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for giving us the ability to explore and and understand our neighbors in ways that we might have failed to do in the past. We thank you for allowing us to continue to evolve and find new ways of being filled with grace as you have taught us to be. We pray for those who struggle with memory loss and debilitating disease. We know that you are ever present with them. Remind us that they are more than their limitations they are human beings who are loved and cherished by you as with all of your children. Help us to affirm the value of those 
whose society has chosen to belittle, ignore, and undermine. When we feel forsaken, abandoned, or alone, remind us that we are never alone, God, that you are with us. When we face challenging circumstances and struggle with our decisions, take our hand and let us feel the power of your presence. Remind us of our agency and the agency of all those around us, that it may be respected. And we thank you for the creativity that goes into making movies that inspire us, that transform us and help us to better live and to better love our neighbors for the kind of empathy that films like this evoke. Amen. So next time on the Movie Revs, we are exploring the fantastical film, Big Fish directed by Tim Burton with Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney. And our movie revs, Reed Sherman and Elizabeth Bryce, will be joining us in two weeks' time. And if you haven't seen the film, it's available streaming on ctv.ca and available for rent at Cineplex, YouTube, and iTunes and Apple TV. So please join us for that next time. And so thank you again, Dan and Janet, for this excellent conversation and this great exploration theologically of this film. It's yeah. been a pleasure having you both. And join us next time as we answer the call behind the silver screen. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.